Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, I hope we can unscramble our minds together after a busy day of thinking all kinds of thoughts. I think Satan keeps trying to get into our minds through all the activities, all the news reports, all of the just busyness of life that hits us. I think that's why it's important we take a Sabbath, we take time to just think. Not with anything else on our agenda, but to just think about life, put it in perspective and understand the peace of God that passes all understanding. When you read about the peace of God in the Bible, it's really aligning our lives with the way that it's meant to be. There is a way it's meant to be. And when we align our lives, we experience peace. My name is Dave Wager, and I'm coming to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute, Wolf River Refuge, Foster Family Connect. These are all ministries that we're a part of trying to help our world know Christ and make Him known. I invite you to check those out by website and participate with us as God allows you to. Talking about wisdom lately on nighttime, talking about Solomon and some of the things that he said in the book of Ecclesiastes. The last nighttime we talked about chapter 1 in the book of Ecclesiastes. Tonight I'd like to talk about chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me read them to you. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anyone who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Well, that's pretty powerful stuff. Here's somebody who, who actually had everything, anything he wanted, everything that the kingdom could offer him all the relationships he wanted, all the money he wanted, all the pleasure he wanted, 
all the food, all the drink that he wanted. And his conclusion is, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The last time we met, I was talking about how interesting it is to strive after wind, to run after wind and actually catch it, and to realize that you don't have anything in the process. But here is somebody who's trying to tell us that God had given me everything that anybody could want, anything that people could look after and say, boy, if I had that, I'd be happy. He gave it to me. Not only did he give it to me, but my wisdom remained with me. In verse 9, he said, so I had become great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. In other words, he grabbed all this stuff, was provided all these things, and he was able to discern how much joy and how much pleasure they actually gave. One of Satan's great tools is that he tries to get us to be dissatisfied with the life we have, look around us at things we don't have, and tell ourselves the lie that if we had this or we had that, we'd be happier. If we were in a different family, if we were married to a different spouse, perhaps, if we had more money, If we had a vacation home, if we had more vacation, if we worked less, if we worked more, if I was wanted more, if I was needed more. And we can go through the list and say that these are the things that we put on our list of things that we require in order to feel fulfilled and purposeful in life. Remember that every one of us searches for significance. And there are those who look for their significance to be affirmed in the food that they eat, the money that they have, in the pleasure, in the power, in the authority that they have. But that's not what will affirm the purpose of man. I am a child of God. He's my Heavenly Father. Jesus is my co-heir. I am somebody loved by God and wanted by God. I could say that if I'm poor or if I'm rich, if I have a lot of food or not so much food, if I am somebody who needs a wheelchair or somebody who can run a sprint and win a race. I could say that I am important not because of what I can do or what I possess, but because of who I am. I'm a child of the God, the only God in the universe. So he became great in verse 9 and surpassed all who went before him in Jerusalem. Also, his wisdom remained with him. Verse 10 gives us that real key understanding. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Can you imagine living at a time where no matter what you thought of, no matter what you'd like to try, you could do it? Well, Solomon did, and he told us what he understood after he did it. He said, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. It's interesting that the reward was in the toil, not in the achieving it. I think there are so many times in my life where I've looked at me trying to get something in life and working towards getting whatever it was was what was important not actually having what I thought was important. I remember many years as a child looking forward to Christmas. 
When I was a child, you used to get the Sears catalog, and you got it early enough in the year where there were a bunch of toys and a bunch of things that you could look at and dream about. And you'd tell your parents, boy, I'd love one of these, or I'd love one of those, or you look at some kind of toy that the Sears and Roebuck company was putting out, and you tell them exactly what would make you absolutely delighted, absolutely happy. Then you get that for Christmas, and you look forward to it and look forward to it, and you get it, and you spend about, you know, half an hour with it, and then you're bored. I know not everything is that way, but there are a lot of things that way. Really, the idea of looking forward to it was far more precious than the actual obtaining it. The idea of what I would do with something if I had it, the idea of hours of pleasure and entertainment it would give me, had a smack up against reality where it didn't really happen. I guess as I think of eternity, I'm thinking of God and what he can do for eternity. God is totally creative. I'm not. I'm sure that forever and ever we will not be people who are bored. We're not going to get up in the morning, and we probably won't be getting up in the morning, and say, I don't have anything to do today. God is the eternal creative being. And whatever he has planned for eternity, it'll be a wonderful thing for his children. Anyway, Solomon's conclusion really is, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained. Verse 12 in chapter 2 goes on. It says, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has in his eyes and his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said to my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fools there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all his vanity is striving after wind. Really, Solomon is just talking about things that are obvious if you take time to look at it. The idea that you can have anything in the world and try and be satisfied with it doesn't happen. Years ago, I realized that I could learn by watching somebody else make mistakes, or I could make those same mistakes myself. I could learn by watching somebody else do something right, or I can learn to do it right myself and be an example to others. You see, I can learn from people who have done things before me, and my life will be much easier than having to learn everything the hard way. In fact, I remember once when I was fighting an injury in sports, and I remember just talking to God aloud, telling him that I was really tired of learning my lessons the hard way and that I'd really like to learn them the easy way if possible. I don't know if God laughed at that or not, 
But what I was talking about was that I could really read the Bible and learn how God operates and live in that context rather than having him allow me to live a certain way where later I realize he's right in all that he does. I can learn lessons the hard way by going through a bunch of mistakes, knowing that he loves me anyway, but having to live through the penalties of the mistakes. Or I can learn it the easy way by watching how he operates with people in the scriptures. Solomon's saying that there's much more gain in wisdom than folly, so I should be chasing that. I wonder how many of us actually are looking for wisdom, looking for truth and how to apply it to the life that we live today. Solomon says that's what's more important than just going to find pleasure. Any of us could go grab some food and it would give us momentary pleasure. We could go grab something ice cold to drink on a hot day and it could give us momentary pleasure. But really the understanding in life that takes a little more effort than just a feeling in life is where the real effort should be put. There's more gain in light than darkness. Well, certainly you can try and pursue darkness and nothing comes of it. The more there is light and the more you're in the light, the more you see the imperfections of life. Seeing the imperfections is important because you and I can't repent until we see what the imperfections in life are, our own life. It's far better to have light. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. We keep stumbling into things if we walk in darkness. We keep hitting things that should be obvious to see. I don't know how many of you have really struggled with darkness, but if you're ever in a very dark place trying to get from one spot to another, and all of a sudden somebody does turn a light on, you're relieved. Because now you can see things that would be obstacles. That's what God's Word does for us. God's Word is a light. God is a light. We can see things that could be obstacles for us. Wanting riches, wanting power, wanting authority, wanting whatever our eyes latch on to, coveting things from other people. Those are things that we're going to trip over if we keep walking towards them. Now, you can keep walking towards them if you want, but the person who ignores the light turns it off so that they can trip over things. That doesn't make any sense. God's word is very clear on so many things that we'd be wise in listening to it. We'd be wise in applying the light to our life. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. There are things that are going to be similar that happen to everybody that's alive. If there's a bomb dropped on our area and I'm in the area where the bomb drops, I too am going to be affected by that bomb. If we're going to have a tornado in the area and I am one who loves God and I'm with people who ignore God, we're both going to go through that. You see, some people think that they should follow God because God is like, well, they're genie in a bottle. They get three wishes or they can just do whatever they need to ceremonially to get the genie to respond correctly from the bottle and they get out of trouble because of that. In reality, those who love God are going to get sick just like everybody else. Those who love God are going to end up dying one day just like everybody else. 
we're going to experience things that are similar even though we love God. That's important to understand because some really have an idea of God being that genie in the bottle type individual. And when God doesn't perform well enough for them, they get upset. And then they actually accuse God of not being around or not being real or something along that manner. The truth is, God loves each one of us that he created, and the sin in the world is going to cause problems and has caused problems. And because of that, that sin, I am going to cause problems no matter if I do things right or not. What happens to the fool will also happen to me, even if I'm applying wisdom. Then he goes on to say, why have I been so wise? And I said in my heart, that too is vanity. There are times where you and I can question almost everything in life. In fact, questioning things is important to finding truth. We need to be able to sit and ask us why we're not afraid of things. When the disciples were in a boat and it was about to sink and they were fearful, Jesus asked them why they were afraid. Now, you got to think about that. All the disciples, they had perspective. Jesus didn't. He knew that he could tell the waves to stop at any time, and they would. And he did. That was a great lesson learned that day. But the bottom line that the disciples needed to do was ask themselves why they were afraid if they really understood that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life and that Jesus loved them and that Jesus was with them and Jesus had a plan. Why is it they were afraid? I think you and I need to ask things and ask them from the standpoint of wisdom. There's a lot of pain in this world, yet God is in charge. Why is there pain? See, now we can go into the Bible and we can read and we can find answers. Verse 16, for the wise as the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. You know, one day I'm going to die, and I've heard people talk about the importance of leaving a legacy, and that may be true. But one day I'm going to die, my body will go back to soil, and I don't know in how many years I'll be mostly forgotten. Oh, it won't be that there won't be remnants around of something. Perhaps this recording that you're listening to will still be somewhere on somebody's computer, and they'll listen to it and wonder who this guy is. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that probably a hundred years from now I'm not going to be remembered. In the closet in the studio here, I have a bunch of cassette tapes of my father. My father was a pastor, and they used to record his messages, and they would go to a place called Faith Chapel. And Faith Chapel would diligently reproduce the tapes and send them to anybody who asked for them. It was a ministry that many people did. There were many who told me that my dad's messages were such where they needed to be preserved and cared for forever, because God would use them far beyond his life. My dad's been dead with God for over 30 years now, and those cassette tapes are piled up in a closet that nobody listens to. In fact, it's hard to find somebody that even has a cassette player that would listen to him. But they're there. And if somebody wanted to listen to them, there's a lot of them that still actually work. I do have a small cassette player here, and every once in a while I 
actually listened to one of them. But it's not nearly what people thought while he was alive, that many years after his death, people would be sitting on the edge of their seat, wanting to hear everything he said. That's not what happened. And really, in many days now I go through, and although reminders of him are everywhere in the ministry that I serve, there are many days I don't think of him. There's not any days I don't think of God, and I don't think of his provision for me and his care and his purpose for me, but there are many days where I don't think of my dad. Now, I would have told you that would never happen to me, and I would still think, even saying it, I feel terrible about it. Because you'd think that somebody that was so influential in your life is somebody you think about every day, but the truth of the matter is you begin to forget. And that's the way it is for everybody. One day, I will go to the grave. Once again, there'll be recordings, and people might say, oh, it's really important that we preserve them and that we have them forever, and I guess that would be up to God. But the truth of the matter is I'll probably be forgotten just like everybody that went before me. Say, so, well, people remember people like Einstein and Alexander the Great and Eric the Red. and Yeah, how many times a day do you remember all those people? You remember them in the context of history. You remember them possibly when you're talking about history. But it's not like they affect your daily life. They're not like they affect you at all. In fact, some of those are just names, and you have no idea what they even stood for, believed in, or did. Oh, it's not that a name won't be thrown around from time to time, but to really have a significant impact in the world after we're gone, I doubt it. For the wise as the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So one day, no matter how wise I am, I'm going to spend some time probably being sick or some accident and I won't be here anymore. And perhaps on the same day, somebody else will die who doesn't know God. I remember at my dad's funeral, there was a very popular politician who had also died the next day. And their funerals, I believe, were the same day. I don't know what this other politician believed in or didn't believe in. But I do know that there were two that died that day, and I doubt many have thought of either of them in the last 10 years. And Solomon said, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity a striving after wind. There we go with the striving after wind thing again, over and over and over again. What Solomon is saying is not something to get us all depressed. He's saying those who live apart from God and want to find their purpose in this life, they want to find it in this existence right now. They want, they want to find it in, in their comfort. They want to find it in their influence. They want to find it in their power. Those who are living, trying to find their significance now, won't be able to find it. Because your significance isn't in the here and the now. Your significance is in identifying you as a child of God who will be around forever with the king. And the stuff here is just building for significance for the future, but it's, it's not in the now. 
And everything that you see, everything that I own, everything that I have is a child of God. Every physical thing that I own on the earth will be one day gone. It won't be mine. It won't be under my control. It won't be under my authority anymore. And that'll happen to those who are godless too. There's a time period of things that everything is the same. But then there's a time period where everything is the same again in a different way. I had a very wealthy friend who died. I have no idea what happened to his wealth. I have no idea who's controlling his wealth. I have no idea where all his stuff went to. I just know it didn't go with him. And he would have told you before he died that he knew that, that it wouldn't go with him. So for me to spend hours and hours and hours and hours in this life trying to figure out an angle to get more for this life sounds like a waste of time. I could end up with a real lot and give it to people who don't know God who will squander it all over. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. What was done apart from God, what was done to gain for this momentary pleasure was grievous to me. There's so many times where the pleasure that I enjoy goes away so quickly, my mind just starts to crave it again. I could use chocolate for an example. I love eating chocolate. I love eating good, dense, dark chocolate. European chocolate is my favorite. Some, somewhere over there, Denmark, Sweden, some kind of chocolate from over on those areas of the world. What's interesting to me is that I can never have enough of it. I could put it in my mouth and let it just enjoy it for moment by moment until it's gone. And, and when it's gone, I want to put another piece in my mouth. I'm never actually satisfied with the chocolate that I'm eating now. I'm enjoying it, and I'm satisfied right this moment, but my brain goes to the future thinking, I need to just keep having a piece of chocolate in my mouth all day long. Oh, and if I really want to improve it, I need to have it with a cup of coffee. A piece of chocolate and a piece, cup of coffee, oh my goodness, that'll bring me pleasure for sure. Except for the coffee has caffeine in it and the I can only drink so much of it, and I've got to stop. And you know, I had my coffee this morning, and already I'm looking forward to having coffee tomorrow morning because it didn't satisfy me. This life that I'm living, it can be something that gives me momentary pleasure, no doubt about it. But the momentary pleasures that I enjoy are not going to be something that satisfies me forever. Only God can do that. So I need to ask myself how I want to spend the time that God's given me on this earth. There's only one thing I can take with me, and that's people. Everything else is going to stay here. So I need to adjust my time and my plans so that they reflect what's actually important in life. Loving God and loving one another is what's important. And maybe I get by with things that aren't quite as spectacular in life. Maybe I don't have to have the latest clothing line and the best food, and maybe I don't have to go on the biggest vacations. 
it's not that those things won't bring temporary satisfaction and it's not that those things aren't something people would look forward to and get joy out of looking forward to it. But they're not going to satisfy. After I get home from a vacation, I'm going to start thinking about the next one I get to do. My wife and I used to go downhill skiing every year until she had cancer. And we would look forward to going downhill skiing all year long. And while we skied in the mountains of Utah, we enjoyed it thoroughly. But it never satisfied. When we were going home, we were already talking about how we planned to come back. Because there is momentary pleasure in certain things that God has given to us to enjoy. But those momentary pleasures can never satisfy for the long haul. We need to get our priorities right. Long-haul satisfaction comes from enjoying God and enjoying one another. That's where it comes from. And that's really what Solomon's talking about because he had it all. And he's the one that can tell you where you find satisfaction. Well, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute here in northern Wisconsin. I thank those who support this work and thank you for listening tonight and being a part of this. Good night for now.